0: Hello, and welcome to the eLearning and Instructional Design for Beginners podcast, where new and aspiring instructional designers start, grow, and advance their careers in instructional design and online learning development. I'm your host, Crystal Harper. I'm a former school teacher who transitioned to instructional design, all while working full-time as a single mom. Would you like to become a successful instructional designer without the burden of earning another degree? Well then, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the e learning and instructional design for beginners. Today, I have a special guest, Dr. Ray Pastor, on the show. Dr. Ray is a full professor and program coordinator of e sports and online teaching and learning within the instructional technology program at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. He is an active YouTuber with over 3.2 million views recently published his first book and has 28 peer-reviewed journal publications. With a background in management consulting, game design, game-based learning, and instructional design, he has worked on projects for Fortune 100 companies, the military, as well as a myriad of schools and universities. In addition to serving as coordinator of UNCW's eSports program, Dr. Pastor is faculty advisor of UNCW's Seahawk Esports Club. He holds a PhD in instructional systems from Penn State University. Wow, now that's a super impressive background. I'm so glad to have you. Welcome, Dr. Ray.
1: Thank you, welcome.
0: First, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and your background. Okay. How did you get started in online learning? What drew you to the field of technology?
1: So I got, I kind of got swindled into being an instructional technologist. When I was, I was in college, I was an undergrad in the late nineties and there was no such thing as web development or graphic design or anything like that. Um, you had to choose computer science was your degree. And I just, I wasn't interested. I learned programming, but I didn't want to do it as a job. And I found this thing called instructional technology, which would allow me to work with Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Flash. I guess they were not Adobe. It was Adobe Photoshop at the time, but it was, uh, Macromedia Flash and Dreamweaver and develop websites. And I was like, I want to develop websites. This is what I want to do. Send me to that graduate program. When I got there, I was like, what is this learning stuff they're teaching me about? Why am I learning about learning and training? I just want to develop websites. But I started to really, really like that design, that like training design and theory aspect to it that I didn't even know existed when I signed up for the program. So I kind of, I got interested in it because of my love for tech.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. I, it's funny. I'm, I, I'm the opposite. I, can, I came in from the opposite range, but I, like, it's crazy because, yeah, I didn't even know what it was either, but you started and you said the late 90s.
1: Yeah. And there was no such thing as graphic design at the time. There was just computer art was like, didn't really exist. And people were just starting to make websites. And it was like a really small field. You couldn't really go to college and take like a course on web design. And that's what I was interested in. And there just wasn't anything like that at the time. I guess now it's still like up in the air where that where that should exist. But and sometimes it is in instructional tech programs. So it's cool to to have listened to their stories to like what the field is doing today. See like the differences over the last like 50 to 70 years of the field.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, I I know how much I've learned and just learning about it. And still like there aren't enough people out there that even know what it is still. I think everyone. Oh, yeah, no,
1: we're a very small field. We are a very small field compared to others. We're really small. A, it's a small there's a lot of people in it it's getting bigger every company has a training team but we as a field we're we're very small when we talk about like I look at numbers of publications mm-hmm. and things like that we're, we're really we're really tiny
0: I know but with e-learning growing so much lately hopefully I think it's going to I think everyone's
1: everyone's heard of e-learning, but they still don't know there's like this magic person behind there that actually is developing it and has developed a career for developing e-learning, called an instruction. Like, I don't think that's set into the public, but everyone knows what e-learning is there's this uh, disconnect on what our field really is. So there's like this education part where maybe your program or pieces of your program were very K to 12 focused yeah. versus the corporate side. So there's like this disconnect sometimes in what classes students have to take it, depending on what program they've selected.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yours is education and corporate, right? Your corporate. We're
1: mostly corporate. Okay. Um, You know, I mean, my background is the management consulting and I still own a consulting firm. So I did a lot of government contracting and I still own a consulting firm doing all. Well, I've I've actually done some government as well, but mostly all corporate consulting. So I'd say my program is much more geared towards that. But a lot of my students are K to 12 educators leaving education to go into corporate, which is why my programs really transitioned into that.
0: So why do you think gamification is a must in e-learning? So
1: I guess I'll frame this in two ways. So the first thing I will say is that the only thing that's a must in education or learning is what's required to solve your problem. Whether that's gamification, whether that's problem-based learning, they are appropriate at various times and not appropriate at various times. So having said that and got that out of the way, let's talk about the cool stuff about gamification. So gamification, and a lot of people misinterpret what this term means. So just to define what I say, when I mean when I'm saying the term, it's applying game-like elements into a non-game situation like a classroom or something like that. But a lot of people sometimes say gamification and they really mean game-based learning, which is gaming for learning, or really gaming anywhere. Um, so it's, it's kind of like this weird thing where you have to explain what you mean, or mm-hmm. I, sometimes I have to just assume people really mean just game-based learning, and why is gaming mm-hmm. popular in general for learning, not just gamification. Um, but it's a must in that in the fact that when appropriate, it can engage and motivate your learners. So anything that engages people, anything that gets your learners interested in times when they may or may not be, is awesome and should be added to a piece of training. So it's like, you know, now a lot of people will add just like leaderboards or take some like piece of gamification and try to put it, throw it into somewhere where it shouldn't exist and then it's not going to work correctly. So Mm -hmm. it's all about like, you know, actually incorporating gamification elements into design where they're going to be effective. Um, But yeah, in those situations, yeah. Why would you not want to engage your learners? Why would you not want to get them um, you know, more excited about what they're learning about that, that steady flow that we talk about in game-based learning, that flow that they, they're learning and they want to, and they're motivated, you know, this keeping up those levels of engagement are so important. So when you can do it and when it's easy to incorporate and you have the time and the money, it should absolutely be included.
0: Right. Yeah. You make really good points on that too, because there are so many different elements and yeah, you're right. It could be confusing or not even motivating enough if it's, if they're only using one
1: particular element you know it's it's an interesting it's just one of those things where like I'm the biggest gamer in the world I teach esports I play video games every single day I've been competitive in video games but like sometimes I go into a course and I'm just like just let me learn my material I don't need to like this extra gaming portion wasn't necessary for this but like so it just has to be done correctly and it can't just be thrown in but when it's done correctly like it's awesome. Like I talk about mm. one of the best ways I see gamification being utilized is in marketing and advertising. Like mm. play our game and like keep buying our soda and like to play the game or like McDonald's Monopoly. Like those kind of things work so well and are so effective. And they done they've done such a good job of that. That okay. it's like you know, that's when I see gamification working so well. So it's using it in the right places. Right.
0: What do you think is the best way to identify training needs in a company?
1: The best way to identify needs. I would say the easiest way to identify needs is when someone else brings it to me. <laughs> that's the easiest way. So that's the best way to yeah. do it. Someone else has identified the problem already, and they're telling me this is what we need. Right. And we're going to pay you to, to design this training. But you need to do a, a front-end analysis mm-hmm. or some kind of analysis, some kind of gap analysis. You know, I, I pride myself in finding problems in every organization, even though people might hate me for finding. All the problems and everything, especially like my wife and our household, like finding problems with the house and, and everything. But, uh, you know, it's finding the problems and, and really doing a front end analysis, which you have to do. Even when I first meet with a client, I tell people I am, as I'm talking to them, even though we might only have a 30 minute talk, and that might be my whole analysis that I have is a one 30 minute phone call with this client. Um, in that whole time, I'm trying to find out what exactly is the problem. And what kind of resources do they have to solve that problem? So it's, it's probing questions. It's potentially looking at documents that they might send me. It's, you know, on a lot of levels, the client has to tell you or give you all the information so that you can correctly say, yes, what you've told me is the problem is. They, they're always coming to me with this is the issue. Um, let's, and I have to determine if it really is. And then how do we go about really solving it? Maybe it's a training need and maybe it's not you know, I've had clients come to me with problems and they want to develop training. And I'm like, this isn't going to solve your problem. Maybe I'll gladly develop it if you're going to pay me a lot of money, but I don't think it's going to actually work for you. And I'm very upfront about that in their expectations so that they're not upset when it doesn't work.
0: Right. Yeah. It seems like clients sometimes have unrealistic expectations and also, yeah, it's a lot of investigating and figuring out the actual problem sometimes with,
1: yeah, it it can be, it can be a challenge. And sometimes as a, like, as a consultant in my current role, I just, I don't have, they don't want me, they're not going to pay me to go in and do like an analysis for a month. So I have to, I might have maybe if I'm lucky, three phone calls, three conference meetings, three Zoom calls, whatever, Um, But that's about it. Usually Mm -hmm. it's a one, one hour call and I have to write a proposal with a solution after that one hour call, if it's even that long. Right. So, you know, I have to do it quick and really, you know, you get experience and you can tell Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this is a common problem across companies you know, I, I kind of know what they want. I know what they need because I've done this a hundred other times, but Mm -hmm. like when it's something new, it's always, well, we need a little bit more. I I need to meet with you a couple of times. Maybe I need to talk to someone else. Maybe I need you to send me what's, what's going on. And that all is depending on what the problem is. Like I've had clients say, we're doing this training and it's not working. And I've said, well, let me see your current training. And they send me like a 500 screen PowerPoint deck with no objectives, words like the if I could develop the worst presentation in the world, like they've done it. Like, I don't even know how that's possible, but they have done it. <laughs> like I want to give them an award for having the worst presentation. And they haven't developed it. Sometimes they're like, we paid a company $2 million for this. And I'll be like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened, but they, they have. And, and they're, they want me to solve that. Yeah. And I have to look at it and say, well, it's, you know, we, this course has been designed incorrectly. We need to reverse engineer what you've done. Um, so you get a lot of that too.
0: Yeah, it seems like a lot. I mean, it's a lot of hats that instructional designers have to play for sure.
1: Yes. And Um, it's a it's a weird (laughs) field because of that.
0: Yeah, I know. And then with all the different companies and like we create content on anything and everything. So that's a
1: whole nother yeah, yeah, you're I'm not me. Like it's it. it's weird developing content on everything that you don't know. The client doesn't <laughs> always expect that they're going to have to do work that they're going to have to feed mm. you that content, mm-hmm. you know, and give it to you. And yes, I'm going to become an expert on the content they're giving me. I'm going to get to know it really well. But like, right. they have to give it to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. But yes, that's a lot. You got to love learning. So, what do you think is the most gratifying aspect of a career in online
1: learning? Gratifying aspect. I would say that there are some cool things um, about it. I'd say the most gratifying aspect is that uh, we have pretty good salaries. It is a different, it's a job that can be different all the time. One company from the next can be vastly different from one another. One project from the next can be vastly different. So there's a lot of variation in what you can be doing. Um, it's a job that if you like continuously learning and keeping up with technology, it's going to allow you and force you to do that because there's always going to be new training tools out there, new things people are doing. Um, And all of those points could be frustrating to the wrong person as well. Like, those are all things that I like about it. Like, I like being able to work in tech. I like being able to play with different technology and always having a cool computer and like the latest thing. But if you're not into that stuff, then the tech part of the field is going to really frustrate you and drive you crazy. So, you know, those are things that I think are rewarding. You know, our salaries are good. I have students coming out of their program right now making in the low six figures at the highest, the highest scale. That's the start. But, you know, on average, making in the 70s, those are pretty good salaries compared to like, you know, other fields. So they're they're good. So, you know, it's also not a huge field, which is both good and bad. You, get to know, you can get to know everyone, you can rise up and become a recognized name pretty quick and easily, which is good for a lot of people. People enjoy that. So I think there are definitely like some cool things about the field that I've enjoyed. And those are all things I also think someone can absolutely say, well, I don't like the field because of that too. So there is a place for people who don't want to deal with the tech. You know, there's, Mm. there's a place as an evaluator, there's a place as a performance improvement consultant, there's a place as just doing design work and handing off to a developer. But in general, a lot of people expect us to wear all of those hats and you really have to kind of juggle all of that. So yeah, if you don't like it, then, you know, you're you're going to have issues in the field, like being successful. So you have to, I usually tell my students, to like, find the part of the field they really like and try to excel there. Like if it's evaluation, go that route. Yeah. I have students that are just doing like, you know, performance improvement and they love it. And that's what they liked. And they have jobs just doing that. So, you know, find, find your passion and follow that. I mean, I try yeah. to encourage my students to do that, but yeah, you got to figure You know, I knew I liked the tech. That's why I went into the field was to develop websites in the late 90s, you know, I wanted to be a web developer. So, you know, go figure, like we don't, we don't know where we're going to end up, but I'm still doing that. Like I'm, I'm still developing content. Like I was a content developer. I, I, you know, look at my web love for web development. was really content development. And now I'm doing a lot of video and video stuff. Like I've always loved developing my own content. So I'm still doing what I loved, you know, 20 some years later.
0: Right. I love that. Like what you were saying, there's so many different options and there's, there's so many different paths you can go in instructional design. Which do you think has the best opportunity in e-learning academic or corporate?
1: That's a good question. I would say it depends where your passion is, because there there are careers in both of those both of those industries and they're they're different from one another. So, you know, if you're if your goal is to like be doing research and be a faculty member, then obviously you're you're going to go into academic. But if your goal is just to be an instructional designer, um, you know, it's a tough call. Like, do I go into academic or corporate or maybe even government as well? Because that's a that's another area. You know, the the academic part of instructional design isn't going to pay as well, Um, but it's a different kind of work. You're usually working with faculty or working internally with a college to develop their courses and their plan. It's a little more relaxed pace in that, you know, you're not going to have the same schedule. You're probably not going to have like those weeks where you have to work like 120 hours a, a week because your client's like demanding something. Um, It's going to be a little more laid back, a little more, a little less stressful, and your job's going to be a little more secure. So those are all advantages uh, of academic. But as I said, your salary is going to be a little on the lower end. Now in corporate, your salary is going to be much higher. You have the opportunity to make a lot more money, Um, but there's a chance your job could be much more stressful depending on what you're doing. You might be worrying about getting the next contract or the next client. Um, Or you could be at a stable place too. you know, there's all kinds of variation in there. I'm just really generalizing what I typically see in the field. Um, But I'd say in the corporate space, your job's probably a little more exciting as well. You probably they have more money. They have opportunity to really work and do things different, especially like if you go into government and you're really interested in like VR and games and simulations. Like there's a lot more opportunity there in like the government sector versus corporate and education. Um, so it really depends what you want to do, what your goals are, and also where you want to live. Like, you know, if your goal is to work remotely, you, your corporate is kind of the way to go right now. Whereas higher ed really needs people to be there and government is a little iffy, but it's usually they want people there as well. You know, so it kind of depends what you want to do, where you want to be, where you want to live as well. Like what resources are around the area that you're in. So as far as like, which is better, it's, There are advantages and disadvantages to everything, like every type of industry you look at in instructional design. So it really is about what best matches you as a person. You know, I've had like a, I've been able, fortunate enough to be able to work in all those spaces. Like I started as a government, well, actually I started at MetLife as an intern um, and I worked at MetLife and then I went and I was a government contractor, worked for like the Department of Defense. And then I went into higher ed and worked as an instructional designer and for PBS and then higher ed and then became a faculty member. And now I own a consulting firm where I do mostly, I kind of actually am working in all three industries over the last two years with my consulting firm. So I get to see all those differences. And they're just, you know, it's, they're all unique and have their, I have things I like about each of them.
0: Mm -hmm. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. It sounds like
0: you have a very broad knowledge on all of it and you did a really good job explaining differences and Um, both the education and corporate fields, because I think a lot of people get confused on all that. I get that question a lot about like where, which to go or what's the difference and everything. But yeah, I appreciate that. That was awesome. So why do you think teachers make good instructional designers?
1: Well, it's not necessarily that I think teachers make it. I think anyone who has a passion for Designing training or learning, or is interested in e-learning in any way, makes a good instructional designer. Now, um, I personally enjoy as a consult as a as a hiring manager at my consulting firm, as the person who hires, I enjoy hiring teachers. I know that they have a been teaching people for forever. So even though they weren't a curriculum designer as a teacher, they know what works. They also know how to command a classroom and people, and know what motivates them and what what to do when someone's not learning Um, now that doesn't impact e-learning as much as it does like face-to-face training so i really love to have teachers involved in any kind of face-to-face training because they have that like background but you know teaching in general a teacher comes into an instructional design program and they're going to have some background knowledge like when i say bloom's taxonomy even though i don't use blooms whatsoever they're going to at least know what that is Mm -hmm. versus someone coming in from like communications. She's going to be like, I've never heard of that before. Um, It's not that, but I don't think that that's really a huge advantage either. You know, I teach like classes, like an assessment course and all my teachers are learning just as much as everyone else in that assessment course, regardless of how long they've been teaching. So, you know, I don't, I, I think it gives you a little bit of background knowledge and there's some relationship But it's not a big enough thing for it to really be too much of an advantage. So I don't know if it's it's the thing about teaching is that if you want to leave teaching, instructional design is a great a great place for teachers to go if they want to transition in the corporate. So where I think it's not that teachers are stronger instructional designers for any reason. I think so, so much it's that it's a it's a really good transition field for teachers that want to stay within the learning space, but do something a little different, make more money, be in corporate or government or whatever, just do something a little different. You know, Maybe go on the curriculum design side of things versus the teaching part. Right. So it's not so much that I, I think that they are better. It's more that I think that it's a good transition. It's very much related to what they're currently doing. So that's where I think the the big push for teachers to mm-hmm. do that when they're leaving you know they're searching like on the internet like what can I do as a teacher in corporate America to get out of here you know 50% of teachers leave within five years mm-hmm. what can I do and it's one of the things that comes up and mm-hmm. you know I would say like 60 to 75% of my students are all teachers leaving education now in my state teacher salaries are really low like really really low um so it's not they're doing it for the they're going to like. Double or more than double their salary after getting the master's degree, so it's like, right. you know, a no-brainer for them to want to do it if that's their goal right. is the the money. So,
0: right, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good fit, but yeah, like you make a good point. It has to be what you want to do. Half of my followers are teachers yeah. or were teachers, so. And then it's scary too, because they're having teachers shortages. That's a whole other
1: topic. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's, you know, that's not, that's not our issue. Like, our right, issue yeah. sure. like that's, that has to do with States, not paying teachers enough money. Like who wants mm-hmm. to, like in my state, the starting teacher salary is like $30,000. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. like, yeah. you can't, my students are telling me like, I want to like Dr. Pastor, we want to buy a house. <laughs> what do I say? I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you want, you need to buy a house. Like, yeah, I under, completely understand. Like yeah. that's a good reason to leave. Like we were having kids. We, we want a house. We want a home. Like we can't afford it.
0: I know. You know the career that they have. It should be. it just, I feel like it should be honored more than it is, but Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there's lots of issues in in that whole thing. So, you know, I can't, I can't look at, I mean, I have three little kids, so I want them to have great teachers and good scholastic Mm -hmm. experience. They're all in elementary school, but like, I can't tell my students like, oh no, stay in teaching. Like it's really Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. It's a rewarding career, but like, it's not worth it financially whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's just just not like I would, I would not tell my kids to do it at all ever. I wouldn't even right. let them, I'd be like, no, terrible, like terrible <laughs> career choice. Like you, at some point in your life, you're going to be like, I need to pay a medical bill. And all of a sudden you won't be able to, cause you decided to be a teacher. Like that's, it's not cool. It's not fair to anybody. Yeah. So that's sad. It's really sad. But hopefully things will change. Yeah, I mean, that would be awesome. I mean, I hope for that. I I would love to see teachers paid great salary, like at least livable wages for where they live. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. That needs to happen at some point. But, you know, it, it's unfortunate. I tell people I'm like, it's an unfortunate situation in that my field is able to take advantage of teachers leaving education but it it is what it is. And that's, that's beyond the scope of anything I can do other than give them advice and tell them how they can be successful as an instructional designer. Or I do, I've had students who went and got their masters, became an instructional designer, quit teaching and two or three years later, went back into the classroom. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it has to be the fit for you. You have to be, everybody's different. Everyone has what they like and don't like. And
0: What is your favorite instructional design model and why?
1: Instructional design model and why? Mm-hmm. That's like a trick question for me. <laughs> That's a trick question because there are literally thousands of instructional design models all based on the ADDIE framework. My yeah. favorite model, first of all, I don't use a model at all. I use ADDIE as my framework and I tailor what I'm going to do towards the project that I'm on. There is no like, oh, I use this model. And like I, I go in and I hear what the problem is and I solve the problem, choose everything I'm selecting from my technology to my learning strategies to like my organizational strategy, my delivery strategies to the how I'm gonna do my analysis and design and develop based on what the client needs. There is no, I don't go in and say, we're well, use and articulate, and that's like I. Articulate e-learning, that's what I do and that's what we're going to do for you. It's like, no, what is your problem and how can I best solve it? Because that might be through programming, a mobile app, that might be through, through Articulate or Captivate, or that might be through like me using PowerPoint or face-to-face training or whatever it is. Um, so there is no one model that I like to use. I use the Addy framework as a basis from where I start and follow the project from there on. You know, it's more about like project management and project communication. I know that I need to do some kind of analysis. I know that I'm going to be designing the training. I know that it's going to get developed. I know we might implement it, we might evaluate it. Um, but like, I follow more like, here's the timeline, here's what needs to happen. How do we make everything happen in that time? There is no one model that I use. I mean, there are thousands of instructional design models that everyone says are like the best one, but based on a project and they're all slightly the same exact thing they're all just re-descriptions of Addy saying well I do analysis this way and I do analysis this way and I do design this way that's right that's fine but you know and with with all
0: your experience too I'm sure over time you just you don't you probably just intertwine multiple different models and things that you've learned and whatever
1: fits the project, you know, like, yeah, seems- I mean, you know, I mean, we teach our students Dick and carry because it's like the, the generic, like model that you're supposed to learn based on the Addy framework. You know, but I introduced them to a bunch of others like Kent Morris and Ross and Assure and whatever, you know, just mm-hmm. whatever else out is out there that I feel like introducing them to. But, you know, even like in my book, right. I just wrote about like, this is, this is what has to happen to get a project done. It's less about like picking an exact model and saying like, what do I need to do to solve this problem?
0: How do you see the career of
1: instructional design 10 years from now? So, I think the career is definitely going to continue to pick up. Um, You know, obviously, online learning has accelerated our career significantly since the late, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, and it has grown exponentially throughout that time. Um, And COVID has accelerated the process by about five to 10 years. So, probably what we're seeing right now is probably what we would have seen in five years from now. You know, it's just a lot more remote work. Salaries increasing significantly, you know, our salary average has went up significantly in the last year and a half, Um, Mm -hmm. a lot more companies have needs for instructional designers, or have become to know, you know, even in education, like the need for an instructional designer at a college, every college now has like a director of online learning has an e-learning department that and a lot of them didn't have some of them didn't even have LMSs. But every college does now. So like in nearly every industry, it has picked up significantly. And I I don't see that stopping. I think the only thing that can potentially ever stop our field would be AI being able to develop courses without humans. But I don't, we're pretty far away from that Mm -hmm. happening. That's not going to happen in my lifetime. Um, And I work with a lot of AI stuff from like a technical standpoint and really study it. So I don't see, we're not even near like anything like that happening. And if anything, AI is going to help us do our jobs better. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Yeah. I I think we're going to see a lot more of instructional designers involved in the, you know, blockchain and how to incorporate blockchain into LMSs and training and learning. I think that's going to be something that's coming as well as VR stuff you know, AR, Mm -hmm. VR really going to become ingrained Mm -hmm. in what we're doing. So we're going to need software that allows us to develop in that. Cause right now Mm -hmm. the only thing we have for VR is Captivate and it's pretty uh, much, I'm really excited. Adobe's doing it, but like it, it doesn't work too well. And like, I don't know, instructional designers aren't programmers and they may need to be.
0: If I'm a beginner, just starting, they
1: just want to transition. They don't know anything. They to, so my goal when I tell people when someone comes to me and they're like, "Look, I want to learn to be an I want to be an instructional designer. Or I want to get involved. My goal is then go learn to be an instructional designer. Like go learn how to do it. Get a certificate or a degree somewhere and learn how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in our field that will say, "Oh yeah, just like develop a portfolio and captivate," and you're like, "You can be an instructional designer," but it's right. a very odd. Thought process because we're we go into companies and tell people like they need training on stuff, so like we should be trained on mm-hmm. how to do that. So yeah. I tell people usually go get trained on how to do it. So if they want to know where to start, sign up for a class. Mm-hmm that's where you start. You got to sign up for a class, sign up for a class, get the background knowledge, learn how to do it. And then there's so many good resources out there to add on to that experience. There's YouTube videos, there's books, there's groups everywhere. Sign up for all that stuff and take it all in and learn how to do it. Plan to spend a solid year or two, like Mm -hmm. learning how to actually do this job correctly. There's so much bad training out there and you want to be one of the people doing it correctly. And create good training so mm. learn how to do it I'd, I'd say like you know it's an awesome it's a fun experience uh all the stuff all the the whole learning aspect is fun um so like it's that's usually my first advice for someone is go learn how to be an instructional designer
0: right yeah you need to learn learn the material learn how to learn the trainings learn everything there is to learn I agree because a lot of people just think they can just yeah I get that all the time they'll be like how do i build my portfolio. And I'm like, well, you need to learn how you need to learn how to create these materials first to build them. The, yeah, you know, but,
1: y- no, yeah, exactly. Like people don't know what they don't know. And it's, right. it's dangerous when I go and I, I just had to take a computer-based training this morning. And I was like, Man, this is terrible. I don't know who developed this, but like, this is the problem is that there are people who it's like, it'd be like going to the doctor and like, look, I could diagnose like a cold. I learned how to do it. I've had colds before. I can go diagnose a cold, but like, I'm not a doctor. And like, can I recognize that someone has like this weird pain that signifies like meningitis or something more serious? Mm -hmm. Same thing with instructional design. Like anyone can go to design training, but like, you can't recognize when like what you're doing isn't correct. Cause like you Mm. weren't trained to, it's like those little things that make these big differences in outcomes that all of a sudden, like the training I took today, it was not formatted correctly for a 980 by 1020 resolution screen why someone would develop it in a different resolution i don't know but they they just didn't pay attention when they published it because they probably were never taught about resolution and it was just something not to pay attention to so when you screen it up on a 4k monitor like i have it doesn't show up correctly Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. they just probably didn't think about that because they weren't really taught about they didn't take courses on development. Right. So they don't know those little things to look out for and what right. those numbers are and stuff. And it's like made the biggest difference. I couldn't see half the training. I had to like keep scrolling all around everywhere because they can't right. zoom correctly.
0: Right. Yeah. And it is a lot to learn, but with my community, I have, have everything I learned in school and it's a lot of trainings and I get people to say, I don't have time this. I don't yeah. have time, but it's really like you have you got, to. That's, if like you, like you want a business. new
1: career, you got to invest right. in it. Like, yeah, you, exactly. You want to be a, imagine the investment someone takes yeah. to be a medical doctor. They can't even start practicing <laughs> till they're like in their thirties going from 18 years old, bachelor's degree, four years, mm-hmm. medical school, two years, residency, and then they owe like right. 400 grand. We're talking one to two years of training. Yeah. That literally hardly cost you anything. And yes, it's much easier if you do it in your twenties before you are assuming someone doesn't have all these responsibilities. You know, we get more as we age. It's like, yes, I get it. But like, if you want to do the career transition, like take the time. I have a lot of students working full-time jobs with families who are doing it and they're doing it in like one and a half to two years. So I know it can be done. Yeah. So So like there isn't excuses for people, like I'm watching people do it successfully and they say, yeah, it's a lot, but I just manage my schedule and budget. And I still get to go to my kids' soccer games. I'm still going to Cub Scouts. I'm still spending time with my significant other. I'm still working a full-time job and taking two classes. You know, So mm-hmm. I know people can do it. Right. Yeah. It's a matter of priorities. Definitely. It's just making it a priority. Yeah. Like a lot of people
0: that go into the field too already had a career. So they're transitioning. So I, maybe that's a lot of it. They don't want to have to relearn it all, but I mean, yeah, if you're starting a new career, you have to, yeah,
1: that's always part of it. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you should continue to want to learn stuff. Like I continue Mm -hmm. to learn every single day, even though I'm not taking courses, which I would, And I'm not, because I can't prioritize, because I have a full-time job, like three side jobs, and I have wife, kids, and family. Like, I honestly don't, wouldn't have, I'd have to, I'd have to cut something else off my plate to do, but like, I would love to go take courses, but I'm still learning every day new things on my own. Definitely, even in this field, like, if you get your degree, you have to keep learning, because it's
0: constantly new things
1: yeah, I mean, when I yeah, when I started, the tech is a hundred percent different than it is now, and in ten yeah. years, it's going to be different from what right. we like. As I said, with the AR VR stuff, like everyone's going to be learning new stuff soon, and mm-hmm. like where you have to learn it or you yeah. like I. What would I do if I was just still developing in Flash? Like, just right. have no job. Yeah, like, exactly. No one's using that.
0: Make a very good point. <laughs> What words of wisdom would you share with someone just getting started in online learning and instructional design?
1: My words of wisdom are follow your passion, do what you like to do, and you will be successful. Take your time, absorb as much knowledge you can, as you can, and just follow your passions. You know, if you're interested in the design and development, focus your career on that. If you're interested in analysis, focus your like front-end analysis, performance improvement, focus on that. Focus on what you actually like to do and you will be successful. Take the time to actually make sure you're learning it, learning it correctly. Learn it from people who are experienced, who can give you all the knowledge and stories of how things got to the way they are so that you understand that history. That history is super important. So go back and and learn about it and really make sure you know the field and you will be very successful as an instructional designer. And it doesn't take a lot of time to do that, you know as I said before, Mm -hmm. someone could really get into our field in one to two years, like learn everything they need to and be a really good person to have on a team.
0: Yeah. Especially just in the beginning too, if you find what you like, because there's so many different courses and paths out there, start focusing on courses related to that. And Mm -hmm.
1: I like yeah, that. absolutely. Like you might even find you you're in the video production or programming mm-hmm. or something different. Right. Like I do get people coming into our field thinking it's something different, kind of like how I did from the beginning and uh, they find it's not for them, but you have to find that out. Like give it a go and find out, find out where you do fit because you know, there is. I I always tell people to follow their interests because it always leads to success. If you, if you really follow your passions, like, and the definition of success is different for everyone. Maybe it just means being happy in your career, but geez, you want to be happy doing what you're doing. So,
0: yeah, I mean, you spend most of your life doing it.
1: Yeah. Like be, be satisfied, be happy, like be able to look back and say, well, I'm glad I wasn't like doing something like whatever it is that I didn't like, you know,
0: definitely. Thank you for that advice. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite quote?
1: My my quotes that I have, I don't have any favorite quotes, but what I like to do is I like to ask people, what is instructional design? (laughs) I love to ask instructional designers what it is to hear their definition. Yeah. Yeah, I watched a really, uh, one of my professors who was old school guy from graduated in like the mid sixties in ed psych, like. You know, there was no instructional design back then. Instructional mm-hmm. design came from ed psych and he would just ask people getting their doctorate. What did he call on? What is instructional design? And you would hear him call on them and people would be like silent. Like what answer does he expect me to give? And he'd be like, you're working on your PhD in this. You should be able to tell me what the definition is right off the like the tip of your tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, you should have a quick definition and say, like, what this is. He's like, if you can't tell me and you're working on a PhD in this field, and he's like, why should anyone else know what this is? Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Some really interesting. He, he gave <laughs> me some. Uh, it was, uh, you know, pretty. He was an interesting professor in that regard. Yeah. He would do a lot of things like that, you know, like have like uh, what is it? The. Overhead projector slides from the 70s that were brown because they were so, like, you know, when paper, like newspaper gets really old, it turns like that yellow color.
0: Yeah. It was right.
1: that color because they were from, he wrote them in like 1970 and this was oh, like wow. 2006. He was still <laughs> using them. He was like, I'm not <laughs> using it. He's like, don't send me an email because I don't use it. <laughs> like, just, Uh-oh. but it was great. Like he was, he was probably like one, you know, up there and my top like favorite professors I ever had because I learned oh. so much from this guy. But but it was funny that uh, just the way he would ask questions and stuff. So whenever I, so I don't cool. really have a quote, but you know, it's more of a just an act of what he was.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I love it. Awesome. I want to start asking people that now. It's
1: a good I do good during point. interviews. I ask people during interviews I ask all kinds of questions <laughs> start to like that, and when they can't answer I'm like well you they have to know in like one second like this is not happening for me <laughs> because right. you can't answer like basic questions like oh, well, you're gonna have some issues. Right.
0: Now, could you tell everyone about your recent book and how they can get a copy of it?
1: Sure. So I wrote a book. This was a two-year ordeal. It's really based on an instructional design video series that I created over the last five years. And I turned it into a book. The book is 100% free on my website, raypastor.com, raypastore.com. It's 100% free to PDF version. You want to buy a copy? You can buy it on Amazon for $10, the print version. But anyway, the book is about, it's a how-to guide for instructional designer practitioners, like how how to go through the process from start to finish, especially coming from the eyes of someone who's done it as a consultant and saying, how do I go through the whole process, what are the steps? And I tried to break things down to make them really simple for people to understand. Like a lot of what it is are things that I see, like I train a lot, I have a you know a lot of instructional designers coming and getting their masters in my program and I see what they don't get. I see what my students can't like have problems with what areas, like they don't understand all the quality checkpoints that we have in the ID process. And I I go through those in the book and I say, this is right now where you have a quality checkpoint with your client. So make sure you get it. Make sure you get a sign off or a verbal email. This is where I write my proposal and this is how I gather that information. And this is what, what I have to write the proposal with. So I go into a lot of like you know scenarios in that i explain what i do when i'm working with a client like how do i get their signature when do i get it how do i give them pricing um you know how do i figure all that stuff out how does the really the project management and communication piece fit into id and how do you use like people get really confused about id models and learning theories and stuff and how they all really fit together and work they don't know what's the difference. Like, when do you use Gagne's versus multimedia principles? Or wait a second, you don't use those differently. They work together. So how do you? How and when does all that happen? And I try to explain all that because those are the points of confusion I see in the field.
0: Wow, that's so cool. I love that. I'm definitely going to check out a copy of that book.
1: Yeah, it's free, um, easy read. It's like a hundred some pages. It's but yeah, it's free for everybody. I'm big on open source stuff. Everything should be free, so I like. Mm-hmm giving stuff away. I only have the print version only costs 10 bucks because that's what Amazon forces me to. And if someone wants a print copy, that's what you got to do. So you got to buy it, but it's only $10. Right. I don't believe well, in I'll these $150 code- books. So yeah, free sure. on my website, download the PDF, not going to cost you a thing.
0: Okay. Well, I'll post a link to your website and to Amazon if they want to purchase. Yeah, absolutely. A physical copy as well. And all the peer review articles that you wrote too that sounds interesting I read about um,
1: yeah they're they're fun they're challenging um yeah I'm not a big fan i really like doing the research I'm not a big fan of writing the article really (laughs) they take for they just destroy it (laughs) it just takes your life away it like sucks the life out of you each time I write one it's like a little bit more of my life went into that and it's like uh, yeah, I love the research. I love the methodology. I like doing it. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it, but it's so much, so much to get it done. Yeah. That it's. Uh, I'm trying to do like one a year now, now that I'm full professor, I don't really have to do any more if I don't want to, but I'll probably I'm doing like, I'm working on a project right now. So probably more like one a year, one every other year I'll get out. I'm still going to continue with the research. I don't want to stop it or anything like that, but I'm focusing more on other things like video, like, you know, just different yeah. things that I like. I focused on my book last year, just other things that I'm interested in mm-hmm. I can do now.
0: That's so cool. Are those on your website? Everything's your on my
1: website. Everything's okay, okay. links to everything on okay. my website, awesome. resume and all that good stuff. Everything's there, yes.
0: Awesome. Sounds, yeah. sounds good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experience with everyone. I know that this will bring great value to so many people watching. Thank you for learning with eTeach Online and have a great day. Thanks everybody. All right, that wraps up this week's podcast episode. And if you want some more help and more guidance, then make sure that you sign up for my free e-learning and instructional design for beginners toolkit, tools and processes that'll actually help you start, grow, and advance your instructional design and e-learning course development career. This toolkit will provide you with everything that you need to get started for a successful career in instructional design. Just go to www.eteachonline.com/toolkit. So, if you liked this podcast, then you should definitely sign up for the toolkit. Just head to my website at www.eteachonline.com/toolkit. I've also got a ton of other free resources that can help you succeed in instructional design. Visit my website at www.eteachonline.com. Thanks so much for listening. Now go out there and take action on what you learned about instructional design today.